Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. As you can see, we are having our first remote talk show today, and we're going to be talking about the Catholic Church and plagues along with the coronavirus. Yeah, we're going to look at how the church has responded to worldwide pandemics and plagues throughout history. We're going to look at who the patron saints against plagues and diseases are, and we're going to give you some practical advice on what you can do if you find yourself under quarantine or if you're social distancing. And one of the most important patrons that the church has ever turned to in respect to protection and overturning uh, pandemics and epidemics and, and even the Black Death was Our Lady. So uh, in the coming months, nationally, we are going to be crowning, the Vatican is going to be crowning Our Lady of La Leche in St. Augustine. It's a universal celebration for the universal church. And because of that coronation, I think it's very fitting that we would turn to Our Lady under the title of Nuestra Señora de la Leche, Our Lady of la Leche, and ask for her intercession for protection and for a quick change of the circumstances we're facing. Our Lady of la Leche, pray for us. All right. Thanks for that. So, guys, you know, if you're watching this, this is not obviously our normal setup. Uh, you can see... Ryan Delacrosse over there. He's in our studio in Houston, and I'm up in Cleveland, and Father Rich is down at his parish in Florida. So, you know, we're in a different situation. So if the audio quality or the video quality is not what you're used to, uh, we apologize. We don't have Howard uh, working with us right now. Everyone's working from home for our offices. So uh, we'll shout out to Howard, but, uh, you know, we're left to our own devices to record this. So please bear with us. So, yeah, and we should have actually added Howard on the fourth person because he does look like the Gordon Fisherman, and we're looking for every type of consolation we can get, and that would probably be a good consolation prize. Well, people would trust him, you know. If you can't trust CNN or Fox News, at least you can trust the Gordon Fisherman. You can trust the Gordon Fisherman. <laughs> so today, you know, we just want to talk, you know, there's a lot of people who are rightfully pretty, pretty scared, pretty panicked about everything that's going on. Um, and we want, to, we want to talk that, look, this has happened before. It's probably going to happen again. And we want to make sure that everyone knows that the church has really powerful intercessors uh, that you can pray to during this and some really heroic saints throughout history uh, whose example we should all try to emulate right now. Without a doubt. And when you look through the history of the church and what we're going to crack open here in this episode you really get a sense of the church and its response to pandemics, epidemics, certain plagues throughout history, but how the church ought to respond today. And fundamentally, across time, it's always been rooted in prayer and the service of what our prayer and solidarity looks like. Even if we find ourselves in a quarantined or isolated position, what I've been expressing to my parish community it creates a wonderful opportunity for solidarity and a wonderful you know, possibility for solitude. To enter into a period of solitude and not a sense of isolation means that you're entering into solitude with God. And there's only fruitful things that can come out of that situation. Yeah, Father, you recommended that book, uh, Pustinia, to me about you know, the Eastern Catholic Church's tradition of finding the desert no matter where you're at. And thank you for that. I'm, re I'm reading that. And I think it's a really excellent book um, to consider right now how, you know, in this kind of forced Lent that the world is experiencing, um, in this withdrawal to this kind of 
I don't know, desert in the middle of the modern world that a lot of people find themselves in. It's good to find the real spirituality in all of this. And Sheila, I have to tell you, I do. I love your spirituality and getting to know you. And I'm so glad that you appreciate that book because it's very rich. And it's something that has fed me throughout my formation in the seminary. My spiritual director, Senior Michael Moore of the Diocese of St. Petersburg, offered that to me many, many years ago. And I think it would be fruitful. I don't know, Sheila, if you could post a link to that book, sure. uh, because it would be fruitful for people to use that. I think yep. also, like you guys talk in the word quarantine, it, it comes from the Venetian dialect. It means 40 days. And it, right. and it comes from the practice from Jesus uh, being in the desert for 40 days. So it's kind of a, obviously a metaphorical desert, but uh, nonetheless still represents something that, that is present spiritually. Uh, you know, if you're, you're staying at home. Another thing too, is like, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine about how s sometimes like, you know, we, we, at the beginning of Lent, we give something up and, and, you know, like in our house, you know, we're, we're not watching TV with the kids as a, as a family. Um, and you see all these other things born from it. And a lot of times during Lent, you, circumstances happen to you that are really uh, like out of your, uh, you know, your ability to control. And, and it's, it's spiritually God giving you something uh, during Lent um, that allows you to go deeper with him. And hey, I think I mean, this is just something, you know, is, is in line. Last year on Ash Wednesday, I had my house flooded. So my whole house had to be completely gutted. And I couldn't live at home for Lent last year. This year, we can't leave the house. You know, Ohio is shut down. So God has a real sense of humor. One month to the other, one you can't leave, one you can't go. So uh, pretty, pretty funny. Now, one thing I really wanted to point out is, you know, for everyone out there worried, it's going to be okay, right? Um, the world has experienced this a lot of times. Even if you look at the numbers with a critical eye, you know, they can look scary because of the onslaught of news. The news is coming in every day. Um, but you're getting the news one moment at a time, and it's like the sense of a coming storm that's finally hit your shores, and it feels like a real, um, just absolute crazy occurrence. Um, the numbers are more encouraging than you would think, but it's also really time to exercise caution. You know, there's a lot of vulnerable people who, during this, your actions, even if it's not going to affect you, it can affect other people. Um, you might be perfectly healthy and this coronavirus will do nothing to you or give you slight symptoms as most people experience. But for old people, for people with uh, underlying health conditions, uh, the homeless, I mean, not many people are mentioning what the homeless, uh, how, is, how they're going to be affected by all this. So there's a lot of vulnerable populations and your ability to maintain distance to help keep this um, pandemic from spreading more quickly is almost a civic responsibility to, you know, to those other people who are vulnerable, even though you may not be. And if, if you want to take it the next step further, if civic responsibility is not speaking to you, but the spiritual element of it is rooted in love of neighbor and an active charitable love of neighbor in this circumstance and Delacross, I want to take a second and, and recognize what you were saying before. You know, these are the circumstances we are facing at this given moment. And we have to realize that 
the liturgy is so important to the life of the church. And Sheila, I really want to hear from you too, because in Ohio, all of the masses have been shut down essentially. Is that correct? You know, more or less. Yeah. Um, the bishops have dispensed everybody from the obligation to go to mass. Most churches are closed. Uh, you can still get the sacraments. You can still get, you know, confession, but even that, who knows how much longer that's going to be available. Um, so in the, in the sense, in the sense of liturgy in the Greek word, liturgia, it means the work of the people. We still have work that we must do in respect to a proper upheld life before God. And we need to truly live in active charity. And that's where solitude comes in. Circumstantially, we are finding ourselves in, in not large gatherings, not larger settings, and that's okay. I had somebody reach out to me. Have you ever been quarantined? Have you ever been, you know, kind of put in a place and you can't leave? It's driving me crazy. I've been and I said, my whole life. Yeah, well, no, that's the, that's the thing. I was like, yeah, it's called a silent retreat. I've been on silent retreat a number of times, eight days in my cell. I'm really looking forward to a 30-day Ignatian experience where I'm 30 days in my cell or in a cave somewhere in Spain and going through the exercises of St. Ignatius. This is a wonderful opportunity, circumstantially, to enter into the work of what Lent really is. In truth, how often do we really, really enter into an austere, ascetical Lent? Most of the time we like give up chocolate or we give up, you know, eating meat or whatever it is. This is calling us to something more and we're feeling the effects of the change of lifestyle. The fact that it's happening in Lent, I have to say we can draw greater fruits from this period of time if we enter into it with God and we really observe the work that we're supposed to do in relationship to charity and neighbor as being directed by the CDC and other advisors in this, in this concerning time. Yeah, it's, it's different everywhere with the church. I mean, one of the things I'm recognizing is that there are masses, there were masses here in, in the diocese of Houston, Galveston, uh, you know, uh, there's masses in other dioceses. So it's, it's taken in different dioceses. It's done, it's being done differently. And so, you know, I'm really grateful to be able to go to mass and offer up everybody who couldn't, could, can't go to mass, you know, offer them up in prayer. Because, um, I mean, not being able to go to mass is just, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, difficult. So my, um, now before we get into it, there's a couple things that we, I want to get into. We're going to keep this episode a little bit shorter today because this is impromptu. And Father Rich, I know you're dealing with a lot of uh, turbulence at your parish, trying to make sure everything is accommodated for. Uh, before we get into it, where we talk about the patron saints um, against plague, that we could be seeking their intercession right now. And before we look at um, some of the plagues that have happened historically, why don't you tell everyone where they could follow us and uh, how they can uh, help the show? Especially as we enter into more of a, a digital ministry uh, at Catholic for the Catholic Talk Show, as well as my own parish uh, at St. Paul II in Nocatee, at Nocatee Catholic. Um, you know, we are in need of transmitting information regularly and pastorally meeting the needs of our loved ones. And to our Catholic Talk Show family, those of you who are tuning in via YouTube or on our social media feeds or listening in on any of our platforms, we want to be able to continue to proclaim the good news and reach you with celebrating our Catholic faith 
far into the future. So if this is going to be a six-month thing, if this is going to be a six-week thing, we want to make sure that you're connecting with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And be sure to go to catholictalkshow.com. There you can see every way that you can view our content or listen in. And a big shout out to our patrons through patreon.com forward slash Catholic Talk Show. You have every way that you could support us financially so that the show can continue in this manner to serve the needs of the people in the digital continent. As we know, St. John Paul II, Pope Benedict XVI, as well as Pope Francis, have called us to this type of ministry and the forefront of the new evangelization. Well, now circumstantially, we have to really do our very best to meet people's needs. And this is one way that we're doing that here at the Catholic Talk Show. So thank you for being a part of our community. And we look forward to continuing to grow our efforts far into the future. All right. Thank you for that. Um, so now we also um, want to give a shout out to our sponsors real quick, because even though the world seems like it's coming to a, a grind, it's not. Um, there's Ave Maria University. Uh, this is one of those in, um, examples of a reason why Ave Maria is such a great university with so many different online options they have. Um, Ave Maria, absolutely excellent Catholic school with an amazing campus, but when the campus isn't available, their online programs are you know, just as good as anyone in the world. So make sure you check them out. Um, another one of our sponsors is Hollow. Now, Hollow is a great resource for this time because it's a guided prayer meditation. Now, people who are feeling a lot of anxiety, uh, Hollow has a way, um, it's, a, it's a really amazing app that will guide you through spiritual practices and prayer. They have prayers for calming and for peace within oneself, as long as, as well as like um, the liturgy of the hours and the examines. So definitely check out Hollow. Um, it's on the page. You can check that out. And then I- And that's, the, that's another great way to realize that the church is meeting you where you are. Mm -hmm. And if you are quarantined, if you are in a, a place of solitude, they give you the great structures of Lexio Divina, contemplative prayer, and their platform continues to expand each and every week with new products to help people guide them through the Catholic heritage of prayer. So definitely download that app, support them, and they will most definitely be supporting you. And then the last one is Exodus 90. Now, if you don't know about Exodus 90, it's a 90-day program for men to help them uh, grow in spirituality and closer to God through ascetical practices. And like right now, um, doing Exodus 90 right now could be on your home court because a lot of you are forced into ascetical practices anyway. So this, I think, would really help help you uh, guide it through that experience and get the most out of it and really be able to contextualize some of the sacrifices that you will almost undoubtedly have to make in the coming weeks. So Exodus 90, Ave Maria, and Hollow App, check them all out. I have to say, and, and I don't know, Delacross, if you know this or not, but Father Tetlow, he's come up a number of times in the show. Both Delacross and I have so much love for Father Tetlow, but he's actually going through an Exodus 90 program with about 20 men from his parish, and it has just enlivened his spirituality. I haven't heard him so fired up since I first met him, and he's just diving into Thomas Merton and taking all this time to really dig into some spiritual works and and uh, digging through Exodus and really growing in that solidarity. So a big shout out to Exodus 90. And uh, what Father Tetlow is, is, is living that testimony, um, which our experience through Exodus 90 was in previous sessions, but it's happening right now. If you could put together a crew, it's a, it's a perfect time for it. Yeah, and and uh, just the Hallow app, when I drive home uh, from dropping off my 
and my, my daughter and I put on a 10-minute uh, uh, meditation, and we talk about it because it's a th about a 25-minute drive. So we put it on, we listen to it, we pray, and then, you know, you're, you're supposed to do it home and but I do it with my daughter and we we have a really good uh way of sharing our faith in the car the that family. is awesome really cool so let's get into some of the, some of the saints that the church throughout her history has um invoked during times of plague now look if you if you've studied anything in, in history you can see the cyclical nature of plagues pandemics and the impact they've had on history I mean if you go back to some of the I guess uh, during the actual Roman Empire, uh, the behavior of Christians during plagues is one of the things that so impressed the pagan Roman culture. Um, when so many patricians and people of high status in the Roman Empire, when plague would hit one of the cities, they would all take off and leave the city. Um, but the Christians would stay and take care of the poor and the sick and the dying. And oftentimes that meant that they would die themselves from that plague because they weren't seeking um you know going away from it and oftentimes you know they say that <clears throat> you know the blood of the martyrs was the you know the seed of the church but these christians staying and tending to people during plagues in effect was a martyrdom because they were putting themselves right into this incredibly dangerous um you know situation it's not you know like like father damien you know saint damien of molokai same type of thing so even in the very earliest stages of Christianity, you saw a Christian behavior of love, of consideration, of care for fellow people, no matter who they were. And that really impressed on people what the Christian life was meant to be. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to just look back on history and see the amount of plagues, illnesses, these, these large <clears throat> worldwide events in some cases. Um, and, and you look at, you know, the witness of Christianity inside of those and, mm -hmm. and against those who did not love. And, and the reason why is because we hope, we, we, we have hope. We're a people of hope and we're a people of destiny. Like we're, we're destined through this love that we share with our neighbor. We're destined to find ourselves in Christ. And we're also destined for God willing, this eternal happiness and joy. And so, you know, pagans never really, you know, especially in the first, second, third century, pagans really never, really, they, there was no afterlife. It was just, you know, calling on these, these foreign gods to sustain them through the, the temporal stages of their life. Mm -hmm. You know, during the Black Death, 14th century, um, 42 to 45% of priests were killed because of their visitation. Which was way higher than the regular, high. right? I mean, I think it, the average... It, it, death rate in the black plagues was like 25 to 30 percent is what historians will um estimate but records of priests is really well known and you're right what is the percent that priests died in the black uh, it, it's, it's 42 to 45 percent of priests died during the black death to bring the sacraments of the sick and the final rituals of the church viaticum the commendation rituals and what was formerly called the last rites so to consider that type of a bold witness of priests to go out and minister to the needs of those who are sick and dying is truly an inspiration. And I think looking at what you just shared in respect to martyrs, you know, the, the seedbed of the church where new growth takes place, 
after the Black Death, there was a massive shift and a change in the church because of that living witness of the martyrs who died in the battle against one of the greatest battles, viral infection. And, and to see that that's happening even today, where some of my older brothers that are priests are visiting hospitals and going through these, these long, you know, having to get tested and going out and meeting the sick, the sick people's needs today is absolutely inspirational. And there's priests that are doing all sorts of wonderful pastoral practices, hosting masses outside, setting FM station antennas up in their respective parishes to reach people in their local area and their, and their, their parish boundaries, doing everything that they can do to a time of unrest to a sense of, hey, I'm okay, I'm with God, we're going to get through this together in solidarity, and trusting that God is going to guide us in this wonderful period of time of Lent to strip down and realize how fragile we really are, yeah, and to, to realize how precious life is. We're returning to God, and that's one of the fruits that I'm seeing. But the population during the Black Death was 500 million, roughly, and 200 million people died in, in the most worst epidemic in the history of record, in recorded history. Um, so to see the church active in that time uh, and, and the priests so willing to go out courageously is, is uh, something that the church needs to consider in our own time now. Now, I, I agree with you, and, you know, the same plague that caused the Black Death, uh, it's not the exact same strain, but it's the same bacterium uh, that caused the bubonic plague, and I think it's called Yersinia pestis, but that caused the Black Death. That also caused the Great Plague of Justinian, which Justinian was an Eastern Roman emperor. He's the emperor who commissioned the Hagia Sophia. Um, he had essentially reunited the, Euro the Roman Empire um, after the fall of Rome, and history would have looked a lot different if that plague had not come. The Roman Empire might have really been reunited for another 500 or 1,000 years. But as it were, that plague wiped out. They were saying 1,000 people a day were, or 10,000 people a day were dying in Constantinople. And it so depleted the Eastern Empire that Rome, is a, as a Mediterranean superpower, never really reestablished. And even like 100 years after that was the rise of Muhammad, and with a, such a depleted empire and resources and population, if it hadn't been for that plague, the invading Islamic armies probably wouldn't have conquered as much territory. I mean, history would have looked dramatically different. Now, the same plague that had caused that, um, the plague of Justinian, about 40 years later, uh, there was another reoccurrence of it in Rome. And that was the, the Roman plague of 590. And that was when... Um, Pope St. Gregory the Great was involved in it. Now, this is an awesome story. Uh, Pope St. Gregory the Great, at the time, was a deacon. And the Pope, when uh, this plague started in Rome, was Pope Pelagius II. Pope Pelagius II died of the plague. Right? Could you imagine how terrifying it must be? People everywhere are dying, and then the Pope himself dies of the plague? Um, and people were terrified. And Pope St. Gregory the Great was kind of made Pope out of popular acclaim, and he was leading these um, processions on April 25th, um, <clears throat> 590. He led seven processions around Rome, imploring God to give um, relief from this plague that was ravaging the city. Um, and then finally- and I, and I love the fact, if I could interrupt here for just a second, I love the fact that, that uh, St. Gregory the Great was leading these processions 
to Our Lady, to Santa Maria Maggiore, mm -hmm. you know, one of the, the lead basilicas, the Holy Father's Basilica, the major basilica, Saint, Santa Maria Maggiore. So we can see all the way back to, you know, apostolic times that people were petitioning Our Lady, yeah. uh, principally when things like this were happening. And St. Gregory the Great in that respect is, is a wonderful example of recourse to the Blessed Virgin Mary for protection and for uh, a, a turn of, of events so that things can come back to a healthier situation. You know, Our Lady of, you know, Salute of, of health, um, you know, is implored throughout history as well. Um, but continue with the story because this is one of my favorite stories of what happened in procession, especially as it relates to Castle San Angelo. That's right. So as they were doing the seventh procession, so people were dying and dropping dead. They said 80 people died in this procession and they were doing it in waves. They did seven waves. The first was clergy, then abbots and monks, then abbesses and nuns, then men, then married women, then women and children <clears throat> and the poor, the children and the poor. So they're doing it in waves of procession, seven different waves of processions around the city. And this newly elevated Pope who had taken over for the Pope who died from the plague was leading it. And he had a vision of St. Michael sheathing a blood soaked sword, putting it away on top of what at the time was the Roman emperor Hadrian's mausoleum. And he, Pope Gregory the Great saw this and knew that God was going to give relief and the plague would end and the plague ended after that. I mean, this is historical. This is not, biblical times where people say there's no records there's records and the plague stopped after this and to this day there's still a statue of saint michael putting away his sword on top of what used to be hadrian's mausoleum but now known castel san, uh, san angelo um so it's a really powerful example of what prayer can do and i love that you brought up saint mary major in rome uh our holy father pope francis the other day um took a walking pilgrimage and he walked to St. Mary Major to pray in front of the icon of um, Our Lady, the protector of Rome. Um, it was really beautiful, really powerful, and kind of historical feeling seeing the Pope walking through the empty streets of Rome, yeah. going to pray to these icons that had helped people for a thousand years in times of plague. It really moved me. Yeah. Yeah, it did me too. It was a really beautiful thing to see, uh, kind of surreal too at the same time. Um, you know, and, and now that you mentioned this story, uh, um, our pastor at, at Mass said we're going to have a procession around our church. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to, <laughs> you know, bring our lady and our Lord through this, uh, through the campus. So now that everybody's home, it's like, join us for this procession. We're going to use prayer as our weapon. Uh, so this is a Probably a lot of connection there between. What a, what a beautiful thing your pastor's doing. I love that. I, I, I knew there was a reason. Like it's starting to come together now. You're mentioning, you know, this, this amazing event that occurred, um, you know, how uh, things like this happen and we always should be turning to the Lord, you know. Now, and this processions, processions are such a beautiful part of the Catholic Church and why they happened, I think it's coming more clearly into into our minds right now. So I agree with you, Delacrosse, a lot. Is is just you know to see that the traditions of the Catholic faith are so rooted in history, but a lot of times we lose contact with history and what actually happened. Right. And just recently, I reached out. I have a number of friends at the North American College, 
and one of them uh, is a deacon, uh, Deacon Clay Ludwig. He's, his ordination's upcoming in June. And I asked him, I said, you know, what's the, what's the feeling in the college? What's the feeling around town? For, for there's the, a lot of the North American colleges is in Rome. That's for a North American uh, clergy studying in Rome for the priesthood. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, I, I asked him, what's the, what's the disposition? What are you feeling like over there? What, how are the people reacting? And, you know, there's worldwide panic right now, not only in our local communities, not only in China or Northern there's a lot of concern and a lot of people are panicking. Just speaking to my dad who lives in upstate New York, you know, there's panic. There's, I've talked to in the city, in New York City, panic and, and people are scrambling and, and they're being consumed by fear. Um, but I had so much encouragement from Deacon Clay Ludwig because he's just such a spirited, spirited guy. And, you know, they're staying rooted in prayer out at the North American College on behalf of the Universal Church and, and the whole world. And they're at the Eternal City doing their intercessions. And I encouraged him, expressing, reminding him that, you know, Pope Gregory the Great, <laughs> he was a deacon. And look what he was able to do. And, you know, he's a, Clay is a deacon. And I'm just really, you know, we, we need... We uh, need he's not going to be elected Pope, is he? <laughs> uh, you never know. You never know. Right. <laughs> Uh, my cousin's actually, he's a Jesuit priest who's in Rome right now. I, I think it's called the Orientalum. Um, and, you know, I talked to him a little bit about the situation there. He said it's, you know, it, it is scary, but it's shut down. You know, um, he has a lot of concern for the homeless, which when he said that really hit me hard because I hadn't really considered the homeless and all this, and I felt terrible. You know, they're incredibly vulnerable. They don't have great access to hygiene. All their programs are in consolidated places, which are probably closed down. Um, they're very vulnerable to this. So remember to pray for the homeless as well as for the elderly, because they're very vulnerable. Now, he also said, you know, we really have to understand how connected we all are and practicing that social distancing, making sure that you're being responsible because your actions, even though they won't affect you, could affect somebody else who's vulnerable and having that kind of true entire pro-life ethic that your actions ultimately affect other people he said was something that was really important that he's witnessed there in rome while he's on lockdown he also said to make sure that everyone is really uh, remembering to be a person of peace and calm prayer so that you can share that with other people who are feeling that panic like you said father rich that people are experiencing around the world you know, it is going to be okay, but fear is a powerful thing. And making sure that you're centering yourself in prayer and hope really will help yourself, number one, but it also help you help others who are experiencing the same thing because it's scary, but, you know, ultimately everything will be all right, but we got to remind ourselves that and be a source of that for others. I see, I see it in two, uh, twofold manner. Because I see a lot of fear, without a doubt, there's a lot of fear, but there's also a lot of distrust of authority that has been cultivated and built in our, in our world for the past 40, 50 years. Um, you know, and, and that's, it's concerning because you know, a lot of people are questioning the government. A lot of people are allowing conspiracy theories of politics to enter into this. Um, and, and to realize that no, like we have a serious, serious situation on hand. And across the board, everybody is trying to communicate that. 
and we need to really mobilize and take action because if we look at it as a conspiracy theory, if we allow the distrust of authority to take place, we will grow in anger. And between fear and anger, what gives rise from that is violence. And we do not want that to happen. You know, right now we need to keep our minds and our wits, live our lives accordingly with the circumstances we're facing, but live them well before God and neighbor and allow love to govern us and our petition to God to overturn the circumstances we are now facing so that we can face better days. And, and that is well within our capacity. And we need to have members out there in the world, just like you and all of our listeners, to, to really take this opportunity to live this out as God is calling. Now I have to share a quick story. A buddy of mine was you know, in lockdown because he couldn't make it uh, to Dublin. He was actually flying out of, out of the country. And, um, and this is a very good brother of mine, Keith from San Diego. And, you know, he was trying to get answers out of the airline and he was in there. It was such unrest. There were a lot of people that were angry, a lot of people that were frustrated, a lot of people feared loss, all, all sorts of things uh, happening. And he just, he expressed to me via text message. He's like, I am just furious right now. And I said, brother, I understand where you're at, but you have to realize that everybody in that airline, everybody that's trying to deal with the problems, everybody is lost right now and everyone doesn't know what to do. And right now people need you. You are a gifted man and you can control your environment. You can control your surroundings and you can help a lot of people that are lost right now. Even people that you're looking to, to answer your questions. If they can't answer your questions, you know, you can really affect your environment and bring peaceful solutions just by your disposition of not allowing it to lead you to lose your cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I think another thing that, that goes for it is people hoarding um, supplies right now. Um, it's easy for a lot of people to run out and grab everything, right? And it's a, it's a me first attitude. It's a, I'm going to get everything I can and sit on top of it like a dragon on gold, you know? But think about like little old ladies who live on a fixed income. They don't, they're, hus they're a widow, or, they're a widow. They don't have a husband or a family. And you got some 75 year old woman trying to go out and get basic staples, trying to compete with mad crowds of people, you know, buying everything up. I mean, we really have to look at this where everybody needs to be calm, be in it with each other and consider everybody because your convenience and maintaining a lifestyle, not being willing to give any sort of inch to austerity in a worldwide pandemic affects those other people. It affects that little old lady. It affects that person with who's going through chemo, right? It, you know, you have to make some sacrifices right now. That is what a Christian is called to do. Um, and having that peace. And if you do anything less than that, and if you're not considering your neighbor first and you're considering yourself, you're not living like Christ called you. Um, and, you know, I'd really implore you to think about that. Think about how you can help other people, even if it means you just do less. Even if that's the only way you can help someone and you live austerely through these times, do it, you know, because that ultimately will help everybody. So what's, um, what's the thing? We, we were talking, we, we talked about this, uh, the plague and this story, and we move it on to the saint because this is yeah, kind so of there's a couple. Yeah, there's a couple saints um, that are typically invoked in times of plague. Uh, one of them, Saint Rocco, or Saint Rock. Now, Saint Rocco, 
he was um, born in like southern France on the area between France and Italy. When he was born, he had a birthmark of a red cross across his heart, which, you know, his parents saw, signed as a, saw as a sign that he was meant for something special. And at, he, he was born to a noble family, very rich. And at 20, both of his parents died um, of sickness. And he took all the money that he inherited, gave it away, and just lived as a mendicant, you know, very much like St. Francis. Um, and he took his money and then he went on a walking pilgrimage from, you know, southern France and he was going to uh, southern Italy, uh, to Rome. And on his trip there, he encountered a city that was going through the plague. And everybody else had left and there's so many people suffering. And instead of continuing on his way, he stayed in that little city and took care of people and was healing people, you know, showing them the cross on his chest, making the sign of cross over him, over these people who were dying. And he healed tons of people. Um, and that's why he's, you know, considered one of the plagues or one of the patron saints against plagues. Um, another one is St. Valentine. I know that that's you, one of your patrons, Father Rich. Um, St. Gregory the Great, we already talked about him. Uh, definitely his actions during the plague um, are something we can all aspire to. Uh, here's an interesting one, too. There is a St. Corona. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think during these times, really, you know, she's a very little known saint. You know, she hasn't been called on probably very much in a long time. She's one of those very obscure. She's being called on right now in Northern Italy. That's for sure where her Absolutely. remains are. Mm -hmm. And I find it fascinating that she's there where one of the worst breakouts of this coronavirus is. That's crazy. Yeah. It's a but she's, she's listed in the Roman martyrology as well. And there isn't, there isn't a, a great amount of history gathered around her, but that she was a teenager and uh, she, was, she was in a married relationship. And it was really her brother-in-law, St. Victor, who they're, they kind of go hand in hand that was being martyred. His eyes were gouged out and um, she cried out to encourage him to not give up. The faith. And he kept the faith and he boldly proclaimed it. He was martyred and then they captured her and essentially tied her to two palm trees that they bent over and she was ripped from limb to limb. But, you know, she, she is definitely sought after from that period of time on because of how many miracles were coming out of her intercession as well as St. Victor um, as it relates to epidemics and pandemics. Mm -hmm. um, but a, a very, very powerful witness, St. Corona, and she's been viral online. Uh, yeah, it's named after a crown, and also this virus is named after a crown. Well, that's what Corona means, like the Corona Borealis, or, you know, sometimes St. Corona can be known as St. Stephanie, because St. Stephen, you know, he's the crowned martyr. He received the crown of martyrdom. That's why he's called St. Stephen. Um, you know, but that's, I think, comes from the Greek, right? Uh, whereas in Latin, he could probably be called Coronas, where Corona would be a crowned martyr, a crowned female martyr. So she could be known as St. Stephanie or St. Corona. Corona would be the Latin form of that crowned martyrdom name. But yeah, I am very grateful, very, very grateful to the ministry of Bishop Estevez for the Diocese of St. Augustine and the first parish in the United States of America and to realize that we are receiving a papal coronation, which is a unique celebration that doesn't happen all the time. And that's coming up in October for the Diocese of St. Augustine, but also just universally for the church. And that's why I've been praying steadfast to Our Lady of La Leche 
which was the first shrine in the United States of America dedicated to Our Lady was right here in my backyard in St. Augustine, Florida at the first mission, Mission Nombre de Dios. And to realize that that coronation can be correlated to the sense of the coronavirus and to pray her intercession as she is about to receive this papal recognition mm -hmm. as a national, international shrine of prayer and pilgrimage. Um, but I, I you know, really want to kind of go back as well. to So back to the saints, another saint that can be sought after in times of epidemic and pandemic is Saint Sebastian. Mm -hmm. And throughout history, uh, it, the, the plagues were depicted as a woman with arrows and arrows striking the neck or the under armpit of men and women and leading to their death. Um, because that's where a lot of the plague affected was under the arm, the yeah, neck, in the thigh area. Yeah, yeah bub exactly. Bubonic, uh, you know, uh, growths. Yeah. Yeah, bubos. Um, so, you know, that's how St. Sebastian, who was shot with arrows, we all know his, his story very, very well. He was a Roman soldier and, you know, he was branded for Rome and then went through this powerful conversion and gave of his whole life to Christ. And that ultimately led to his martyrdom. But he was martyred by being shot with arrows. And he overcame that type of death, you know, by, by coming to eternal life. So that's why, you know, many of the people throughout Europe turned to St. Sebastian whenever a plague or an epidemic came up. Mm -hmm. And I think St. Sebastian is also another one that we could really turn to uh, in this time. I saw a great painting uh, showing the plagues in the Middle Ages, and it shows all this death and all this, you know, carnage going down on the ground. And then it shows, you know, popes and bishops praying in the church at the altar. And then above them in the sky is uh, St. Sebastian kneeling before the throne of God covered with arrows through him, praying to intercede. Oh, wow. So you see, you see this motion of sick people through the bishops and the popes and priests up to St. Sebastian and up to the throne of heaven. Um, I'll, I'll try to post that picture in the show notes too, because it was just, I saw that and it was amazing. I would love to see that. I haven't seen that image. That's yeah, beautiful. I'll, I'll that. uh, and one last saint I want to talk about is St. Charles Borromeo. Um, he experienced, he was the bishop of, was, was it Milan, I believe? Uh, he was, yeah. Yeah, in so which is, which is in Lombardy, which is Northern Italy. Um, and he was so instrumental in servicing his flock during a plague that that plague is now known as the Plague of St. Charles. Uh, that was in 1576. And right now, you have a lot of people online, some of the more overly crazy traditionalists who criticize everything the popes and bishops do, giving them a hard time for closing or limiting masses when it's really necessary. They're like, oh... St. Charles Borromeo did the same thing as his role as the Archbishop of Milan. He closed the churches because he said, he recognized, he was a man of science in the, you know, Renaissance. He said, look, people in close spaces together help spread this plague. So he, would, he, he closed all the churches in his, um, under his authority and put, the, uh, put up a Eucharistic adoration station at the doors so people can go there. But he, he was doing this intuitively, this, this social distancing, this not having large gatherings, 
in, in 1576. So before you start criticizing your bishops for taking the actions that they are being called to by their government and by scientists, consider that there's a long precedent for that. Right. And, and the, the whole thing about, you know, especially on the internet, just looking at things and, and being skeptical and, and critical of our Holy Father. I mean, what a waste of time, especially right now. Like, right. how could you like judge him for doing this? You know, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Be praying for Pray for right. You might disagree with it, but like to get on there and just spread that everywhere. Like who are, you know, who are you? You know, we're supposed to be obedient to holy to the Holy Father. And when we need to do, we need to be obedient in charity, but we also, you know, we, we need to have our own eyes and keep clergy in check. But this is not that situation where they're doing something nefarious. They're doing something that's backed by science that is there to protect pastorally so many people. And say the, and the criticism I've seen has really kind of disgusted me in a lot of ways because so many people take it over top. I understand people want mass. But Father Rich, like, what are some of the things you're doing at your parish to make sure people are still, uh, you know, pastorally nourished without putting them at risk? What are some of the things you're doing? So it's it's ongoing as, as um, you know, really, we, we talked a little bit earlier today about it. But uh, before I get into what we're doing at locally at my parish, I really want to comment on, on what you guys were just sharing. And I think it comes out of a distrust of authority. And this growing nature among us that we have to constantly criticize uh, those who are in authority. And we need to really pray for them. That's the first and foremost thing. Prayer and love is the only thing that binds us. And you know, I, I ask the people that I serve that before they come to confession to me, like St. Faustina always encouraged, you know, pray for your confessor, pray for your pastors, Pray for your politicians, local and at the state level. Pray for your president. Pray for your pope. We, we need prayer. I, I have a small administrative circle that I'm responsible for. I take that very seriously. I have sleepless nights. How are we going to employ what we need to here at the parish? How can we create a safe environment? You know, I don't care. I mean, I do care about tithing and, and being able to cover the needs of the parish, but right now, I've got, to be, I've got to be concerned about how this can be transmitted. So not passing the basket, emptying out holy water fonts, you know, exchange of peace, holding hands at the Our Father, all of these other things that are oh, putting in practice. Father. Yeah, we could, let's just leave that one on the sideline even after this is over. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's true. You know, but on top of that, I shared, it's funny that you brought up St. Charles Borromeo, because I mentioned to my parishioners this past weekend, I said, just so you know the type of pastor you have, I am of the mindset and the school of St. Charles Borromeo. We need to still have the opportunity to come to our, our church grounds to pray. Even if we get to the point where we're not able to receive the Eucharist, for a greater part of the church, the church's history, we live in a luxury right now that we could go to mass every day and receive Eucharist. We live in a luxury of, of receiving of receiving Eucharist every weekend. But a lot of times we could take that luxury for granted and and really sin in presumption that this is what I demand. No, this is something that is such a gift. And for a greater period of time throughout church history, people receive maybe once in a year. 
Some people don't receive most of their lives. So to, to realize that right now, you know, we may have to provide sanctions within the celebration of our faith where we're just coming to the church parking lot to adore the blessed sacrament from our car or participate in a public liturgy, but still not receive Eucharist. So we're, we're exploring all options. And after watching the Joe Rogan show recently, uh, he had a wonderful representative from SIDRAP, Matthew, I can't think of his last name right now. Um, but, you know, he's advised many presidents and he said something that really struck me and stuck with me. And we just had a staff meeting just literally uh, 45 minutes before the show um, to come up with plans that are not reactive every single day to new finds or responding just right now. We need to come up with a six month plan. And the church, in my, re- in my respective opinion, how we're approaching what we're doing right now, we need to create consistency so that people can lean into the church's celebration and receive consolation and and to be able to be fed by the word that gives hope perspective for us to have a solidarity of prayer at our altar so that we are worshiping God and entering into a period of expected hope Mm -hmm. that this will lift and life will continue but but ultimately we need to have a very safe environment observe that we shouldn't be gathering in large crowds over 50 and we should really try to create the safest environment so that when people do enter our property they're entering it in the restrictive norms that are being presented by science and advisors so that people can still come to a sanctuary in respect to what they're suffering today. Yeah, I've, I've seen some parishes do drive-through confession. Now, it's not as crass as it sounds, but basically they have a line of cars that keep a safe distance so that the seal of confession can be managed, but it also keeps that distance between the priest and the penitent. Um, things like that are going to be really important right now, and the more priests out there that can have creative and pastoral ways to to nurture people in this time, the better. I mean, you're, you're seeing videos out of Italy where priests are flying around the country with the with the Eucharist and procession uh, and procession in planes. You see them getting on the back of pickup trucks and driving through the city. You know, all these things are signs of hope, signs that people really need. They're uplifting, but they're also cognizant and aware of the science behind how pandemics spread. So it really does take into account the best health practices and the best spiritual practices available to us. I just, I just read a post from one of my older brothers. He's, he's like well into his 60s. And he said, you know, I haven't spent that much time in social media, but right now I really want to get into social media so I could move my ministry online. Looking at the digital infrastructure of what we have is a privilege that we have, another luxury that we have today. And we can minister to each other. So even, you know, for me, I'm going to be streaming masses. Uh, Sheila and I had a long conversation of what we could do on a local level, as well as a as an international level, to be able to do what we can do to reach people and be able to proclaim the good news. Because the good news is active today. It doesn't change, right? And the good news is a constant thing that we can lean into and, and receive consolation. We're going to set up drive-through confessions as well. Here, again, limiting every type of exposure of transmitting this, uh, this virus. But 
there's also a call for each of you out there right now. Every single one of our listeners, every single one of our we need you to be on these social media feeds, giving people hope, yes. sharing the beautiful reality of prayerful intentionality. Don't this time so that you can kind of just criticize or, or present solutions. Don't present your criticism. Don't present, present solutions, present words that encourage and support one another in your charity to neighbor. Yeah. And even beyond solutions, don't share fake news. Don't share opinions. Don't share that eating garlic will cure this. Don't share that, you know, share the trusted resources and the scientists. That's their job. Your job is to share peace and hope through Christ. That's your job. Um, Sharing opinions and making fun of people who are trying to take precautions or, or minimizing the risk or max or overstating the risk. Look, there's a lot of hope. I mean, if you look at the situation in, in China where it originated, um, their infections are going down dramatically. They're opening back up. Uh, Italy, they're about two weeks behind us uh, or ahead of us. They're probably getting towards the peak of it. It's going to get better. It's going to get better here. might get worse for a little bit, but it's going to get better. I promise everyone. You know, there are going to be people who die from this, and you got to remember them in your prayers and their family members. But it's going to be an incredibly small portion of society, but that is no reason to disregard your part in protecting those most vulnerable people because, oh, it would, wow, I can still go out to bars and restaurants and basketball games if some 80-year-old lady who's only going to live another year anyway dies in the nursing home. That's a terrible calculus to behave that way. You know, if you really are true life or pro-life, right now is a, is a chance to show how pro-life you are by taking your actions to help people who are not pre-born, but are close to death anyway. They're in their advanced age. So those things, you know, really considering how you act right now is important. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been a good, was, good episode, guys. Yeah, this was a really, a really important episode. I'm so glad that we could shoot this. In, in a way from our own respective offices. We may have to do this for, for a little while, um, but we, you know, the most important thing is that we're connecting and we're building each other up. And the more that we build each other up, the more that we're going to have the courage to face these difficult times and overcome them with faith, hope, and love. Mm-hmm. And you know, we thank you for journeying with us at the Catholic Talk Show. We thank you for connecting with us on this very, very important episode. And a big thank you to all of our sponsors in respect to Ave Maria University, my alma mater, everything that they're doing in the world, and all of our alumni. We're very grateful for that university, as well as Hallow and Exodus 90. Um, Let's continue to remain united in prayer. Connect with us on our social media platforms, and we're going to continue to pilot new ministry, new evangelization, and together we will overcome through Christ who has risen victorious over all of the fears of the world. Amen. Father Rich, you want to get out in a little prayer here? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, look upon each of our viewers, each of our families, and all of the children of the world. We pray that you overshadow each of us with your loving protection. Guide us in each of our discerning things that we need to do in our own lives, in our own families. We ask that you guide our efforts and guide us in everything that we do to a greater outcome. And we pray for an end to this virus. 
and we pray for greater health of mind, body, and soul in and around the world. We petition Our Lady, and I invite each of you to join us in prayer to Our Lady of La Leche, entrusting these concerns of each of us to her. She is about to receive her crown from the Universal Church, from our Holy Father, Pope Francis. As we pray together, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Rock, pray for us. Saint Sebastian, pray for us. Saint Corona, pray for us. All saints and angels, pray for us. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And truly, be at peace, and we'll see you next week.